This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You need to show people the worst possible harm that that negligence could have caused, because that's what the case is about. I'm asking you to do is to focus on what you can control, because that's where the power lies. The Dalai Lama uh, has a saying that in the face of anger, justice evaporates. If you can't focus group it, you have to be very, very critical of your process. The facts aren't good. You can't create a miracle. We can agree to disagree and be zealous advocates for our clients. Quit worrying about looking perfect. You're not going to. That'll come in time. But you can still be an effective litigator. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have a special episode. Uh, This is not our regular episode, either introduced on the 1st or the 15th, but instead we are doing a special episode to talk about how to survive and hopefully thrive in a law practice uh, in the midst of this shutdown and shelter-in-place situation that we're in with the COVID-19 virus. Uh, I've got Jacob Leibowitz with me. Jacob's an attorney at our firm, and he has spearheaded our efforts uh, to leverage technology to keep the practice going. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm doing well. How are you, Michael? I'm doing fine, sitting on my back porch and uh, working from home like the rest of us are. I have my virtual background on so that y'all can't see the mess behind me. So if (laughs) if I cut in and out, that's why. (laughs) So I think the one thing is, you know, what are some things, Jacob, that we're doing to keep our cases moving uh, during this time? I think one of the most important things, and you, you brought this up with the firm at the very beginning, is that we have to have depositions go forward. Um, in a time like this, it's very easy to go ahead and cancel all of our depositions, but that just that's not realistic to keep the firm moving forward. And um, the biggest way we've tried to do that is to leverage Zoom in our firm, but there are a lot of other um, video conferencing programs that you can use. Yeah, I would say depositions and then get the mediation set for sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I, let's talk about some of the challenges. I think one challenge is in, in some states, the default rule is that the whoever swears in the witness needs to be in the same room as the witness when they swear the witness in for purposes of making the oath sufficient to prosecute someone for perjury. Uh, okay. what, what have you been de- doing to overcome that objection? So fortunately in Texas, our Supreme Court has uh, come down with a couple different emergency rulings, and one of them actually addresses that specific issue. And it allows uh, remote notaries um, to swear in the witness via video conferencing, essentially. Um, And to be perfectly honest, I don't know what the rules are or what the Supreme Courts in other states have done, Um, but I have to imagine there's something similar going on. And if not, um, I implore the listeners to ask their different groups, trial lawyer groups or whoever to, to ask their Supreme Court to do that. And, and look at your state's online notary laws. A lot of states have what they call an online notary. And uh, like I have a 
friend in Florida, and he said that from the beginning, their online notary could swear in a witness remotely, so they didn't have that problem. Uh, even under Texas law, there's a question uh, as to whether or not they can or not. The law is a little unclear without the Supreme Court's order, but luckily our Supreme Court stepped in. Um, you know, other things, so that means you don't have to have a videographer or a court reporter in the same room as the witness. Everyone can be in a separate room. Um, how about recording the, the, the video of the depot? How, do, how are we going about that? So that's a little bit up in the air as we kind of experiment with the technology, but Zoom does offer an opportunity to record just within the program itself. Um, now, it, it, we're going to have to wait to see exactly how it works in terms of the rendering time afterwards, um, but it's a, it's a very easy solution for kind of making sure your depositions go forward now. And um, ultimately, it's not going to have a, a huge effect, I don't think, on, on whether or not you're going to – how you're going to be able to use the video uh, to impeach a witness at trial. Some people recommend having a backup camera as well, either a camera in the room with a witness if that's possible, or if not, either a camera recording your screen or maybe a program like Camtasia that can record what's going on in your screen as a backup just in case uh, Zoom fails. Now, you know, Zoom isn't – perfect as far as the, you know, it's not as high def as what you'd necessarily get if you had a high def camera in the room. But I mean, we're doing this by Zoom and it seems to be working pretty well. Absolutely. Uh, another thing on Zoom is sometimes we get some issues with the audio quality of doing audio over the internet uh, going down. How do, how do you resolve that? So everybody's everybody's going online right now, and so it's going to eat up what a, a large amount of the bandwidth that's available just for the internet. Um, on top of that, um, people have different internet speeds, and as a result, our, if you do the audio through the computer and you don't have a fast enough connection or there's not enough bandwidth, uh, then the audio can get choppy. I think the best practice is to make sure that the court reporter and the witness that the audio is going through is to have them call in by telephone, which is a feature that I know Zoom ha has, and I know a couple other um, programs have, but basically you would mute, mute your audio on the computer and then you would call into a group number and that's how you would get your audio feed. Yeah, I know Zoom, WebEx, GoToMeeting, all those places have an audio and it will still get recorded and synced with the video. Right. Um, how about exhibits? I mean, one of the one of the objections I've heard to using video conferencing for depot was how do I show the exhibit to the witness? I don't want to give all the exhibits to the witness in advance because I don't want to clue them in. That's that's definitely a uh, a tricky part of it. Um, I actually worked on a, a with all the lawyers in our firm, and we created a guide. Um, and I think you're going to be making it available. Um, yeah, it's going to be in the show notes. If anyone wants to download the guide, look at the show notes and you can download our guide to doing Zoom video depots. Perfect. Um, so we kind of did a mock deposition where, where we go through the process of sharing an exhibit. In terms of best practices to make sure it's attached to the exhibit, um, I, would, I would try and enter some sort of agreement or stipulation on the record with opposing counsel um, to make sure that, and I've done this before just in a deposition that's not um, by Zoom, but you can send your exhibits to the court reporter at the end. Um, in terms of sharing it in Zoom, Zoom does have the actual share screen features. Um, rather than kind of try and talk through it, I would recommend y'all go get the guide. It's an ongoing guide that we're making and we're attempting to consistently update it as we have new tips. 
but it's a good way to get you started on doing Zoom depots. And there's a large section in there on using exhibits. And just to show people, just, you know, if I go here to share my screen, I can go and, for example, I can share our our guide and it now both of us can look at to doing video depositions. And then if I wanted to page through here, I could highlight something while we're talking, you know, in live annotate point at circle, you know, whatever I wanted to do. And then the witness sees the uh, document. It also shows up on the video. So it actually makes, I think a better record for the video than most of the time when we just hand the witness a printed document and the witness is looking at it and it's not showing up on the video. No, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's uh, unless you, in terms of economic an economic way of annotating uh, exhibits where everybody could see it in the future, that, this is actually almost better than, than a normal setup. So now that you've done a few of these, you think when all this is over, you may be traveling a little less and doing more of these Zoom depots? Depending on what the deposition is, I think that there's a high probability that uh, some of these depositions will be done almost exclusively by Zoom. Yeah, I was thinking we may be able to get a lot more efficient and spend a lot more time actually in the office and seeing each other when this is over, given that we're learning how to do this. Um, What else are we using Zoom for? Um, we kind of use it. It's a soup to nuts thing for us right now. Um, we use it for client meetings. I had a client meeting this morning and, um, you know, I think my main advice would be for everybody to just be patient with it. Cause my client and I were sitting there just mouthing words to each other, uh, for about 30 seconds. And I was able to use the chat feature, um, to just let him know, Hey, look for the audio option. Cause he hadn't turned on the audio option. And then we had a great 20, 30 minute client meeting. Um, and it worked really well. We're also using it a little bit in, in, within the office with our own staff, but we're actually, uh, we actually are using a program called Microsoft Teams, which for those of you who have Slack, it's very similar to Slack, or if you're using Salesforce, um, it's like Chatter or something like that, but it's, it's just a way of chatting or video messaging within the office. So that's kind of our internal communication, but occasionally we do use it. Um, we do use Zoom for internal communications as well. Yeah, and it and how have the clients been reacting that you've been talking to? Um, I think the clients seem to love it. Uh, it's almost a way to get more FaceTime with the clients than you normally would, especially since we have a lot of out of out of uh, out of San Antonio clients. Um, you can have a much quicker interaction. You know, it doesn't take me three or four hours to go drive to a client's house to have that interaction, but you still get the face to face. And one thing I didn't mention was mediations, which we might be getting to. Yeah, okay. So mediations. Now, how in the world do you do a mediation with Zoom when you need to have, uh, you know, privacy? Yeah. Where it's you and your client talking. Because, I mean, during this time, we are taking this very, very seriously at our firm. So I will not allow a lawyer and a client to be in the same room. I won't allow two of our lawyers to be in the same room. Um, Our lawyer and a mediator, I'm just being very, very strict because I think – my first overall obligation above and beyond the financial is not getting any of our people or any of our clients sick. Uh, So how are we handling that in mediations? So I actually thought that this was going to be one of the more frustrating 
um, things we had to overcome because I didn't, I, I thought it was going to involve a mediator with multiple different phone lines and, and um, maybe a cell phone and a landline trying to deal with the different parties. Um, but believe it or not, Zoom actually has the features available. I, I feel like this sounds like a, a infomercial for Zoom, but it's not. Um, but Zoom, uh, you can, we actually are going to put together a guide that will hopefully be available uh, in the next couple of days, or it might already, we might already, might already have it available when the, when the podcast comes out. But um, there's a feature called breakout rooms that uh, a mediator can use to assign people to rooms and it's entirely private. So you can have um, the plaintiff and their client, the plaintiff and the, and their counsel in one breakout room where nobody can get into except the mediator can pop in and there's going to be, a couple different best practices we're going to come up with on how the mediator should enter the room, but all the parties can be separated and the mediator can pop in and out just like a normal mediation. And this actually might be easier than regular mediations if you have to travel to them. And again, you know, so much, so much time we do so much, we spend so much time and money traveling in this business. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this again becomes something that's going to, you know, make some good out of this bad situation. And, uh, and become more efficient in the future. Uh, now we have had some mediators resist using Zoom, saying, "Well, I need people in the same room. I need to see people eye to eye. Even if you have a client by phone, I need you there." And uh, the way I've overcome that is we just told them, "Well, you either get you're not going to get paid, or you're going to do it this way." And right. so far, everyone's relented, and I think they're starting to get the realization this may be more than a week or two, and they're going to have to adapt, or they're going to be without income. And, and I think that just brings up kind of a, a broader point that's extremely important is that we have to be, we have to act and do our business right now, assuming that this isn't going to change and just have that thought in our head. It, you know, whether it's three months, four months or more, um, it, it's here right now and we have to adapt to it. Yeah, we're all hoping and praying that's a lot shorter than that. But I think, you know, we're, we're being prepared to go indefinitely uh, as a remote office if that, uh, if need be, yeah. uh, how about overcoming objections from defense attorneys? You had any of that yet when you're doing the, uh, the setting up depositions or mediations remotely? So I haven't personally had that, uh, happen to me yet, but I have, we, we do communicate a lot, all the lawyers in the office. And I know several of us uh, have experienced it. Um, really what we're trying to do and why we put the guide together was to say, Hey, look, it's not that hard. Um, and you actually had an interesting point uh, related to defense firms and, and their billing um, that I think it'd be useful for, for people to hear because I think that their objection is is going to, well, they're going to have objections. And I think you came up with a really uh, Yeah, the idea. one I have is, do you want to go out of business? Uh, right. They have <laughs> to bill to survive. Uh, you know, I've got my cases in, in inventory. And as long as the insurance companies or our corporate defendants remain solvent, uh, those cases are going to have their value. And we've got enough cash flow to, to, to withstand this. You know, defense firms, if they don't bill, they don't make any money. And at some point, they're either going to have to adapt and by, by agreeing to do this stuff, or they're just going to run out of, out of work to do. And uh, they're going to they're gonna go broke. Now, that being said, I, I do think it's incumbent upon the plaintiff's lawyer um, to push the case. And, and that's going to involve probably... In, in a in a sense, educating our counterparts, the defense the, the defense bar on on the best practices for um, something like a Zoom deposition for sure. And one thing we've we've had to do a couple of times is just to do a, a practice depo with them so they can they can get comfortable with the technology and that we can play with it and and they can see that it's going to work. And I highly recommend that for sure. 
Now, we are all working remotely. This, that's been a, uh, a challenge. So one thing we've had to do is not all of our employees had uh, laptops. And then we have had, we, our IT people are just psycho about people could only remote in through our virtual private network uh, on a computer that the firm owns. They're just, they, they won't budge on that. And uh, part of it is because we had a, a ransomware attack where someone got in through the, the hacker got in through a, a weakness and a different version of remote desktop we used to use. Um, but so we've had to go and purchase a bunch of laptops a week and a half ago when we saw this coming uh, and then get everyone uh, up to speed on it. And, you know, luckily all but one employee had good enough life, uh, internet at home to be able to to work off a laptop. What are some of the other challenges you've seen in uh moving to a remote workforce? I think one of the, the one that's most uh, prevalent is, is kids. Um, having your kids at home as well. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create, well, so it's a challenge, but I think it's also a blessing in some ways. I, I get to uh, maybe read them a book or spend a little extra time with them than maybe I normally would have, especially since we're saving commute time and all that. But it's certainly a challenge um, to not necessarily have your own kind of confined space, which I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't uh, yeah. to work. Yeah. I don't have an actual home office within my home. Um, and so it does create a challenge. Uh, I have, since I'm home, people just come up and talk to me. And I, you know, luckily my kids are, you know, my eight year old, I just say, you know, look, I got I'm working right now. I'll talk to you later. And they're, they're accepting it. Or, you know, my, my eldest is doing virtual online school right now, but I went in to go do this meeting. I was going to do it in a different room and he's playing video games and I got to get him to turn off the video game so I can use the room. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been an issue. The other issue is, you know, because we have, you know, we have 33 employees at our firm. We have a, uh, an infrastructure that was really set up to have five to eight people logging in remotely at any one time. And so while the computer allows 30 something people to log in at once, it does affect performance. So we've been migrating to the cloud, both getting all of our uh, files, uh, case files, slowly moving to the cloud through uh, to something called Microsoft SharePoint. Other people use Dropbox. There's a bunch of different things people do. We use SharePoint because that's what Needles wants us to use. And we're even moving our Needles case management system to the cloud here in a couple weeks. Uh, when we can get in there. And so that's been a whole other set of challenges is that on top of figuring out how to keep the firm running, how to get everyone moving remotely, uh, and then I've been having to do all the backend work, making sure that we're going to be ready to move to the cloud, that we're rewriting some reports and uh, recoding documents to make them work with the new system. I think my advice to everybody out there would be to just to just go full force into this um, because you're going to, you're going to end up learning a whole lot and you need to, um, but don't, don't keep hoping that, that, um, the social distancing is going to stop because it's not going to anytime soon, but it's, it's a, a huge opportunity to learn what's out there, what's available, what can make your practice more efficient. In, in my thought is even if the mandatory social distancing doesn't end sooner than, than we think it should, you know, I don't want my people traveling and meeting with people until I am confident 
that it's safe to do so. Even if to save the economy, the government's going to say, well, you know, the, the harm to the economy is worse than the harm of these extra people dying. So we're going to stop prohibiting businesses from being open and people from meeting. You know, I still don't want my people to take that chance. So, I, you know, we may be doing this longer than it's mandated just because, again, I care about y'all. I care about our clients. I even care about our opposing counsel. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now back to the show. How about court hearings? Have you uh, heard anything yet on what courts are looking at doing? I know different courts are trying to do different things. I know Mallory in our office um, had one court early on that hadn't wanted wanted her to drive all the way up to Waco to actually attend a hearing and then finally relented at the last minute and let her call in. I think the courts are catching up. I think they're going to be a little bit behind the firms. Um, but my understanding is, at least in Bear County, I know a judge is uh, – is having a practice run to do her hearings by Zoom. But I think the reality is, is that um, civil personal injury cases are gonna be pushed a little bit on, onto the back burner by, by judges. Yeah, unfortunately, they're, they're gonna put the criminal and the family before us. Uh, the criminal, there's some constitutional requirements to keep things moving. And then I think social distancing is gonna, you know, all these people that had problems already being locked in a room together is gonna create even more problems. Uh, there's going to be some emergency family situations, but, you know, I've spoken to, to some judges, you know, I, I feel that if we're not talking about a specific case, but we're talking about the overall administration of justice, you can talk to judges directly. Uh, and I've spoken to several judges, uh, the Texas Supreme court, at least in Texas has put out how to use zoom for hearings. They've actually published that it's on their website. They've sent us out, sent it out to the court and the judges I've talked to said, they're all looking at, at figuring out. And I think they're going to use zoom actually, but you, how to use video they're conferencing. Actually gonna, they're actually going to have hearings by Zoom? Yes, to get hearings by Zoom. And then to have, because courts have to be open to the public, either a Facebook Live or some other way where people would, couldn't participate, but they could watch the court hearings that were going on if they wanted to to do that. And so that seems to be, that's looking like that's going to come out, at least in Texas, in early April. Uh, you know, every court's going to be doing its own thing around the state. But I would urge you, if you are friendly with any judges, to call your judge, talk to them about what other states are doing. I mean, go look at the, go to the txcourts.gov, which is the uh, Texas Courts website, and go to the Texas Supreme Court. They have a whole page on what they're doing and the step-by-step instructions from uh, to courts on how to hold a hearing by Zoom, uh, because we need to keep these cases moving. Uh, you know, if not, uh, we're going to end up with a big backlog, and, and pe- firms are going to have some real uh, cash flow issues on that. I haven't been in, involving you with it, but, uh, you know, these are tough economic times. Uh, we need to be ready for cash flow disruptions. 
we need to be ready for insurance companies saying, well, yeah, we settled that case, but you know, we, we don't have anyone that can sign checks or print checks because everyone's, you know, furloughed or working from home. Um, we, uh, I can see banks freezing up lines of credit as they get nervous. They did that during the 2008, 2009 crisis. Uh, so I know I have proactively made a draw to keep the, uh, the, I have enough money that I drew out, even if we had no other income to keep the firm going for at least three to four months. Uh, and I hate that cause I'm paying interest on money that I didn't don't need today. Uh, but that way I have it in an account and it's an account by a different, I have it in an account by a different financial institution than the one that gave me the line of credit. So they can't just pull it back if they decide to call the line. Um, and, you know, we have great credit, we have good cash flow, we have good financials, but they, they freak out right. uh, during these times. And so, you know, if you have a line of credit that's secured, like one of my lines of credit is secured by my uh, stock portfolio, which is worth considerably <laughs> less than it was a few weeks ago. And so, you know, I, on that line, I'm being more careful because I've had communications with them. You know, what's, what is our loan? Remind me, what is our loan to... Uh, to asset value. Uh, and so, you know, I have to have my, what I have drawn on the line, the credit has to be no more than 80% of what my, my balance is in my Merrill Lynch account. And so, you know, given that my balance in my Merrill Lynch account is a lot less, I have to keep that in mind when I use mm-hmm. that one. Now, luckily we're, I'm still, I could still draw that one all the way up because it hasn't fallen that far. Uh, but it is, uh, as the market continues to fall, that is something I want to look at. And I definitely don't want to pull any money out of the market because I've, I've been through this, uh, not the coronavirus, but I've been through market panics and, you know, every time I've never taken money out and a few years later, I'm always glad I didn't. Uh, so I think that's the other thing financially, uh, you know, now this will be dated advice, you know, cutting overhead layoffs, you know, we're, doing everything we can to avoid laying anyone off. The other thing is there is, you know, the right now the Congress is fighting over what kind of stimulus bill to pass. The Republican proposal, which I don't know if that's going to end up passing or not, would also include loans to small businesses. And if they, the loan proceeds were used for payroll and you maintained your payroll for a certain period of time, that part of the loan would be forgiven. But if you lay people off, you may lose the loan forgiveness. So I would uh, definitely recommend that people defer any decisions on layoffs until they see what that uh, what that ends up being, because you may end up losing more in potential free money on for- right. forgivable loans than you would save from doing that. But at the same time, look, you got to do what you have to do. And you know, like yeah. I said, we we are blessed that we had an incredible year last year, and we're in a really good position to keep people on. Uh, but if you're not, you know, you got to protect yourself. You can always hire people back later, but you yeah. have to do what you have to do to keep your whole business afloat. Cause you have to be able to keep, you know, funding cases. Um, I think another issue is you got to really look at, you know, what are the cases you have uh, with self-insured retentions and then look at our, is this defendant, someone that it's in an industry that it's likely to have problems. I mean, I think the trucking industry is probably 
depending on what they're hauling, I think a lot of the trucking industry is going to be thriving because there's so much more mail order. There's so much more food that needs to be delivered. Uh, I guess some of the deliveries to like retail stores are going to go down. But I think that the, you know, I'm hoping the trucking continues to thrive. You know, I'm really worried about my cases if there's a self-insured retention and I've got an oil services company on their side. Uh, Even without the coronavirus, I mean, oil's at 20 something bucks a barrel. Uh, I think it's a $60 a barrel minimum to keep the shale fields that we have here in Texas viable. Uh, and so, you know, some of those companies aren't going to make it. Uh, and so if you have a case that has a big, you know, you find out that they, they have, a, say, $100 million in insurance, but they have a million-dollar self-insured retention, well, that may be gone uh, right. if, they, if they go under. So you might want to look at that. Now, one thing that we also are experiencing – is um, we have some clients that actually do live in Mexico. Um, and uh, now that that border's closed, it's going to be hard for them to get treatment. Uh, and honestly, I'm not sure what we're, what we're going to do about that to help facilitate them. Yeah, you know, there's the, the good thing is that, you know, the, they are really loosening up the, uh, the rules on telemedicine. And so I think that we're going to have to, you know, encourage our clients to talk to their doctors that, you know, and I think a lot of our clients aren't going to want to go in and sit in a crowded doctor's lobby. I wouldn't, uh, but we need to try to, you know, facilitate our clients getting telemedicine. So at least they can get prescriptions and get some relief. You know, most places I know Texas is not allowing any elective surgical procedures to go forward. I don't know if that includes, um, like epidural steroid injections, but definitely it would include spine surgeries. Uh, and that, you know, is going to have an effect on slowing down treatment in cases of, and, and people unfortunately have to suffer extra. I think jurors are going to understand these delays. It's not going to have the kind of, the gaps of treatment during these weeks during the crisis aren't going to be the same gaps of treatment you normally have. But to the extent you can get some telemedicine so you can document that the client's still in pain, maybe get the client some... Uh, some prescription medicine to help them endure the pain while they're waiting for the real procedures. I think that would help. Uh, And then doctors are just going to have to get comfortable and they're going to have to get the, the technology to do it, but they're also going to want to do it because they're not out there doing procedures and stuff. Well, I was going to say, they're going to have the same problem as defense firms in terms of that. They have just like everybody's going to have, you have to keep things moving and we have to be, um, we just have to adapt. Um, there was one question I wanted to, uh, or one topic I wanted to bring up because you, yeah. you talked about the idea of laying people off. And, um, you know, as you've gone into this, uh, this entire time, I guess, I imagine there's various stages of it, but it seems to have happened pretty quickly. But, you know, you're a, a business owner, a fairly uh, decent sized firm, a lot of people that are on the payroll. Um, how do you, how do you keep morale up? Because um, I think a lot of people, are worried that they're not going to be able to work because they haven't been, or maybe they have family members that have lost their jobs, but how do, what are the things that you've done at the firm to help keep morale up? Well, we're over communicating. We are having many, many zoom meetings, uh, both within teams. Uh, and you know, I think every lawyer paralegal team is supposed to check in every day. We lawyers have a nine thirty meeting every morning, uh, just constant uh, communication to let everyone know what's going on. And the other thing is, you know, we were we were very proactive. I saw this coming. And so even before we had the orders, we had already bought the laptop and we told people, we told people we're not planning on laying anyone off. I've drawn down money. We have enough money to operate for multiple months without layoffs. Uh, so that's the what I'm trying to do to comfort people, let them know that I care about them, let them know we're not laying them off. Uh, 
and just hopefully they believe me. Um, yeah. And I'll, I, as somebody who's kind of been on the, on the downline of all that, um, it's been extremely helpful to have those daily meetings with it, just seeing everybody's face. Um, you know, we're all in it together kind of thing. And, uh, I highly recommend every every attorney out there have one or two, preferably two meetings with your paralegal or legal assistant or medical records clerk, um, every day. And, and it, um, you know, from my perspective, the morale has increased just knowing that we're all pushing to make things happen. So you have these meetings and the, the tone of the meetings is really we're just doing work. Um, we're doing we're doing it a little bit differently, but we're laying out the things we have to get done that day. We're talking about the things that we did that day in the later meeting. And um, and and it takes your mind off all the craziness around you and you can just focus on what we have to get done. Yeah, and I think it's so important that communicate what everyone's committing to do that day because it's really easy when you're working from home to go back and forth between just checking your email, being reactive, looking at social media, surfing the internet, watching the news. I mean, it's easy to get distracted. And I think when you've committed, I'm going to get this done today and then you get it done today. And that's how... You know, because we just have to go kind of an honor system on who's working, what their hours are. Uh, for hourly employees, they clock in and clock out remotely. But, you know, we're not monitoring what they're doing every minute of the day. And so it's really the way we'll know is are they getting the results they promise? And and we just have to trust people enough that, look, we're doing the right thing. We're not we're buying computers. We're going through we're bending over backwards so you can keep working uh, and so that you won't get laid off. And we just have to trust people that they're going to do their work when they're at home. And, you know, and w- whether it's made it to you or not, I know the staff is extremely grateful. And, and uh, yeah. um, I think I think we're definitely going to be coming out ahead uh, at the yeah. end of all this. Um, the other thing that we've done that I think is important that we do on a regular basis is we had a virtual happy hour. Uh, we just, whoever wanted to last Friday at 430, they're on the clock still, but could pour a drink and we all got together, the whole firm on a big Zoom call and joked around and talked about anything other than work. Exactly. You know, I just think that keeping that camaraderie and remembering that we're all on the same team is really important because it can get really lonely working from home and it can get really, you know, people are scared right now. Uh, they're scared about their job. They're scared about their health and their family's health. They're scared about the economy. Um, and I think the more we can do to, to make our team feel better and uh, share our team and uh, the better off we're going to be. No, I agree. And I think a lot of that is, is, is showing them that we can just, jump right in and do the work. Uh, you know, the technology might be a little bit different. The way we get it done might be a little bit different, but we're doing the same work. Yeah. I think it's also important that we, you know, we let our clients and our referral partners know that we are still working. We're working differently, but we are still working. This is how to get a hold of us. You know, you can't just walk in the office, but we can still meet. We are still working on your case, you know, and so I know we're sending out emails and letters and, uh, calling people, but I think it's really important. This is a time to touch base with your clients, touch base with your referral sources. And I'll be honest. I mean, we, we've had a great result. We're, we're getting referrals in, uh, this last week and this week, uh, cause people see that we are open and we are proactive and, uh, it's, you know, we're actually, this is still working for us. We're selling cases. We're doing depots. We're doing mediations. We're signing up new cases. Yeah. I was going to say we've done. had several several lawyers do uh, mediations and depositions so far uh, with, yeah. with results. The other thing we have, we've had to work on is most of our clients don't have scanners. And so we've had to move to DocuSign for signatures. 
and move to finding online notaries. We're trying to get our people made online notaries, but that is going to take a little bit of time. Um, and everything's probably slowed down now with, with, with all the state people working from home or not working. Uh, but there are websites. I think notarize.com is one, but other websites that have online notaries where you can they can send the the you can send them the document and they'll get it notarized. Uh, and you know, legally, digital signatures like DocuSign are just as good as a as a pen and ink signature. And so you can use those to, you know, when you need to verify discovery answers, settlement documentations, new contracts you know, all kinds of whatever you need signed, we can authorizations uh, and that's working. And I think that's just something we need to think of, you know, how, how do we, how do we keep the practice moving without having to be face to face with people? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that actually was one of the things that surprised me the most as we reached out to other lawyers, that there are some firms that actually have an entire workflow uh, built around something like DocuSign. And, uh, and so we've been able to, you know, you, you, you talk with people and figure out, you know, everybody's workflow is different, so it might not work for yeah. your firm, but um, the technology exists to make this happen for sure. And DocuSign and Notarize.com are great, uh, great tools. And there's others like that. Well, I guess kind of to close it up, uh, you know, let's try to talk about what are your biggest takeaways that you think that uh, you want to offer to our audience? I think my biggest takeaway for this whole experience that we're going through and, um, and we've talked about this a little bit is, is to see it as an opportunity to get new skills that can make your pro- your practice more efficient going forward. Um, it's also an opportunity to spend a little bit more time with your family. I mean, I'm saving 30, 45 minutes a day in commute time that I can then sit and have breakfast with the kids, um, have lunch with them, read a book with them. Um, so I, I see this as an opportunity to, to, push our abilities as attorneys into and as we go forward technologically and spend a little bit more time with our family. Those are my big takeaways. Yeah, I think this is really the time that we all need to step up and be leaders, leaders for our firms, leaders for our clients, leaders for our communities, and, you know, and, and keep, keep our practices going. Uh, we need to be patient because we're going to have things aren't going to always work perfectly. We're going to have to work through technical issues and just, you know, be patient and mindful that, Hey, at least you're not in the hospital on a ventilator or or you're not going broke. Let's keep this thing going. Uh, You know, I think it's important. We're going to have to acknowledge the feelings that people have, Uh, our clients, our employees, our, you know, everyone else that, you know, you need to let them vent and then just say, look, we're working through this the best we can. Let's get this done. And I think the last thing is, you know, this is really a time with all the stress we're under that we really have to take care of ourselves. I mean, I'm getting back to, you know, if you live in a place where you can safely go out and walk or run, uh, you know, I'm lucky I live in a fairly, you know, fairly rural part. I mean, it's a a little city, but there aren't, it's not very densely populated. So I can go out on the trails or on the street and stay more than six feet away from people uh, at all times. So, you know, I've been getting out and getting exercise done that that helps a lot on the, on the stress, uh, you know, and just the cabin fever. Yeah. Just if you can get outside, you know, meditate, pray, whatever, read, whatever you need to do to get your mind off this situation, you know, turn off the social media, turn off the news and just let your brain recharge. Cause you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. So I just as a closing note, we're going to get through this. We're going to come out the other side bit better and stronger just you know hang on keep working don't quit but take care of yourself while you're doing it thank you very much i look forward to seeing you guys next time 
on Trial Lawyer Nation. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you're listening to this episode on a mobile device, please click on ratings and review and leave our show a five-star rating and write a review. And if you're listening to this episode from our website, please leave a five-star rating on the episode page. We'd love to reach more listeners, and doing this will help more attorneys find this podcast. You can also visit our website at www.triallawyernation.com to opt into our mailing list so you can stay updated on our new episodes. I promise we won't spam you. And thanks to your feedback, we've improved our podcast website. There's now a resources tab that you can click that shows you all the books we've mentioned on our podcast. If you have a Facebook account, please send us a request to join a private group called Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle. This exclusive group will allow you to hear about our guests before an episode airs, interact with the show, and get a sneak peek at some of the behind-the-scenes moments. I love to hear from all of you, and our Table Talk episodes are based solely on questions from our fans. So please continue to send us emails at podcast at triallawyernation.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.